Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to The Wes and Walker Show. I was defending Steve Clifford. <laughs> Steve Clifford, I think he did a great job. You sound just like that guy. It's Wes. He's going to uh, ask you to come and do press conferences for him just behind a black curtain so he doesn't have to do it. And Walker. I like Clifford, the, the big red dog. It was my favorite childhood <laughs> book, Getting in Shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> I like dogs in general. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. That was, is a good book. Hour on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate you writing in some of your thoughts, some of your concerns, your praise even. 704-570-9610. Again, the number is 704-570-9610. Speaking of praise, Fiddy was getting some when we were all talking. I feel like it's a good segment when we all get some. Hey, I agree with Wes's point. Hey, I agree with Fitty's point. Yeah. Hey, I agree with Walker's point. We were getting some of that, I believe, the second segment today, a little while ago. Yeah, people like Fitty's point about the alpha dog. They do. That He mentioned alpha male quite a bit. Alpha dog, what would you rather have? I'd rather have an alpha dog on my team, to be honest. Like, I want yeah. somebody showing their teeth. Hybrid of both, mm-hmm. alpha like, and a dog. Yeah, just like you're an animal at that point. <laughs> if you're an alpha male, that's more so human, but like with an alpha dog, you're talking about somebody that is feral out there I, on I the field. I think if we were to personify that, it would be Kobe back when he would get hot and then he would start showing his teeth. Yeah. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. An alpha snake? Black Mamba? That's a different realm. Alpha snake. That's like a that's like an anaconda that's like 25 feet, but also as dangerous as like a cobra. Okay. That's I think so. alpha snake in my opinion. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> 100%. I think with that... We lead right into the live wire with Josh Fitty Marlowe. Live wires on the team connect. Get respect for their realness. I know you feel this. The east and the west. Up north to the down south. Live wires connect. Oh, good news, guys. The Panthers head coach, he met with the media again today. Got two bites of Frank Reich. I want to play with you guys, or play for you guys, not with you guys. Phrasing. Um, the first one is he provided an injury update on J.C. Horn, Marquise Haynes, and Xavier Woods. Making very good progress. You know, making very good progress. I don't want to put a timetable on them, but um, really encouraged with J.C.'s progress and Xavier. I would say they're they're both ahead of schedule um, and encouraged by that. Marquise is doing well. You know, it's probably going to be a, a, another minute. Talked about him this morning, and, you know, he's making good progress. Um, but we're still going week to week on that. How much does the run defense miss, I guess, even all three of these guys? Because J.C. Horn likes to play in the run game. Xavier Woods, a good safety down in the box. And the Marquis Haynes, just another guy up front that can help you do something. I don't, I'm not sure how much it would help him, to be honest with you. Maybe J.C. on the outside being physical. That's been his M.O. In fact, that was one of the problems coming out of college is he got too handsy. And that was the mm. problem holding guys. I know you're about to say it. I hate it because I know I'm just going to take the punishment and then roll with it. But we do know that was the M.O. of J.C. Horn. He doesn't have any problem going in and making the tackle. And so maybe that would be something to help you on the outside. But 
at the end, I do think that the run defense is more so odd man front. Those those lines are always going to be more susceptible to allowing big time gains. And especially when you go against Detroit with that offensive line being the best in football, it's going to make for a bad day. David Montgomery picking up hard earned yards, being a guy that has always been elusive, been one of the league leaders in tackles broken, I believe, in the first couple of years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. All that just spells to be a bad rushing defense performance. Uh, Yeah, and I think, too, man, I mean, it depends. Lord knows the Steelers have had some ridiculous odd fronts over the years and, and different things of that nature. Casey think, Hayward is a beast. Yeah. yeah, but I think at this point, man, Cameron. anybody you can get to come back for you that was a starting level player for this defense is going to help you. J.C. Horn, like you said, very physical in the run game. We know the type of season Xavier Woods was having before he went down. So especially in the area that's been hurt the most by injuries, the secondary, yeah, they they can't have those guys come back any quicker. All right, moving on to the last soundbite from Frank Reich. Have y'all noticed that Bryce Young's been wearing a wristband to help with communications in the play calls? Um, You know what? I actually did. And I remember it being a big deal when he wasn't wearing them. It was almost like a floss saying, I don't need it. Like, I, I'm smart. I can go out there and I can call the plays by myself. I don't need a wristband. Well, I'm glad they got it on him because it, it's, you know what it is? It's when the server at a restaurant tries to show you how good they are at their job oh, and they yeah. don't write your order down. And they bleep it up. And you got a long order and you know, man, they're about to mess this up. They're not going to understand it. You don't earn any points not writing my order down. You don't. Just go ahead and get, I'm, I'm going to tip you more. If you bring out the notepad, you write my order down, you make sure everything is correct so we don't have the weird conversation after, oh, I actually wanted this on the side, whatever, instead of trying to show off without it. That's what Bryce Young having the notepad on his wrist is. I'm actually pretty impressed when they don't have the notepad. I'm not going to lie. I sit there and I'm like, man, I'm no, like, man. are they going to get this? Because I can't think of a time where someone did that and then jacked up my order. But uh, for Bryce Young, like I said, yeah, we'll get into that conversation a little bit more this week, too, because there were reports that came out that they were simplifying the offense for him. And I think this is another way to be able to do that. We all know about the jargon of NFL plays, and they could be 12, 15 words. So I think anytime you can help your rookie out, giving him some type of aid, it always helps. Here is Frank Reich discussing why they went to the move to have Bryce Young wear the wristband. Just to speed up the procedure, right? I mean, just if you say just pure math, you know, if you just do the pure math of it, it has to be faster. If I don't have to give the whole play call, if I can just say, hey, run number 37, um, you know, there, there's something to that. Now, you know, listen, I've called a lot of plays for a lot of quarterbacks that don't want to wear a wristband. I understand the other side of it. But the fact of the matter is these days in most offenses, if you want to move guys around in personnel and shift in motion, you can't do that without using language and words that get length that make the play call lengthy. So, in those instances, you tend to use the wristband. But then, what you do, just for the record, you know, because that tends to be sometimes passes. So, you may, you got to make sure that you have an equal number of runs on there, so that the other team knows that when the quarterback's looking at the wristband, it's not just a run or it's not just a pass. You have to distribute those things out and make sure you self-scout all that stuff as well. I'm really glad that Frank Reich said you look at, you look at the math, it just makes a lot more sense to go with the wristband because it's easier to call plays. Speaking of math, Walker, you brought up your tipping habits, and we just got to ask, are you a 15, 18, or 20% guy going in? Very good tipper. I got a lot of respect for the industry. So 15, 18, or 20. Like baseline, like what's your starting point? I'm not going to. Because I'm a baseline, 18% is where I start, and then I fluctuate. 
At least 20. Really? Yeah, at least. Well, Less? I'm the same way. At least. And, at and, least and, and I, I don't go below 20%. It, and the thing is, I do get frustrated with people that, again, it, it's a pet peeve of mine. Just go ahead and write it down. I don't think you earn any style points trying to remember it because it shows the due diligence. It, it shows you I'm willing to put in the extra work to write this down to make sure that I get stuff right rather than just say, hey, and then they sit in the booth they try to buddy up with you. What are you going to have there, big guy? It's like, <laughs> do you want me to tell you now? Oh, yeah, I'll remember it. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, nah, man, just write it down. It's okay. But baseline 20% because I got a lot of respect for Do you for the ask game. them to do that if they don't? Will you say, hey, I, no. I'd be more comfortable if you wrote this down? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I am not that guy. No, I, I do want you to have the notepad, but I'm also not going to tell you how to do your job because I'm no David Tepper. <laughs> speaking of That's David, fire. speaking of David Tepper, I thought it would be fun just to bring back that that quote we referenced him yesterday of him speaking off mic about Bryce Young back in April about <laughs> why they don't need to put great guys around him because he's a football player yeah. that is a point guard. You know, the way he throws the ball, the way he's a point guard, how you can use the different players in the field, how you might not have to have as many elite receivers because he's a point guard, right? So he, he distributes the ball to people with routes. So you can save some money there. You know, we believe we can save money other place, places because of it and, and put that money into the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> it's how the offseason played out. <laughs> he told you in that quote, he told you what we're going to do. <sighs> I just don't know what any of that, I don't know how any of that makes sense. <laughs> I, I always, and I talked about this during the offseason too. I always got frustrated with the point guard comparison. Like everybody tried to make Bryce Young be Steph Curry. Like, yeah, is it, are you just doing the whole small thing? Is that what it is? I, Pat Mahomes, many Pat Mahomes, even people were trying to talk about with him. I always like the Joe Burrow comparison a little bit more so. But when we're trying to do the whole point guard stuff, now yeah, we don't have to give them weapons to be successful. L- let's just let's just hope that they learn from that. My favorite part about all of that soundbite, though, it's what I talked about yesterday. The fact that he was so drawn to tell people about this fascinating concept. It's like he's off to the side. He's drawn. He's like floating to the media. <laughs> Did you guys know about this point guard? Did you guys know that we don't need to invest in wide receivers? He's off to the side, not at the podium, because he wants to let you know what he found out so badly. It's like, yeah, he can do this. He even does the motions. The whole clip is hilarious to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I mean, just in retrospect now with the way that this team is looking, the offense is looking, it definitely has not aged well. What's up, Fiddy? I was not prepared for the... (laughs) He's our point guard. (laughs) We don't have to spend money. But now you do. (laughs) Now you do. Now you do. Also, man, hearing David Tepper talk, my my Tepper impression, way off. Someone should have told me a long time ago. Biddy, God bless you. We tried. I almost like the bad impression, though, and I think the listeners do, too. So it's okay, but yeah, it's not good. And that that's all right, though, because once you figure out something and you just continue to roll with it, that becomes your stick, and that's fine with me. Last piece of sound I want to play for you guys. Um, Wes, I know you're fully in, you know, enthralled with hockey. I know the Canes get underway tonight. There's a big... There's a big playoff game tonight in Philadelphia. Game three, Braves and Phillies. And a bald man that I envy, Brian Snitker, if my head looks half as good as hit when I go bald, I'll feel pretty happy about the way uh, my baldness shapes up. He previewed the pitching matchup for tonight's uh, pivotal game three. 
You know, there's a lot of things. It's like I said, if we want to do an opener, who we're going to follow up with if we decide to do that, if we want to just uh, go the traditional route or, you know, there's just a lot of different scenarios that we're looking at. Like I say, I think we're leaning one way, but we're just going to try and finalize it here probably in the next hour. I mean, that's a really strong pitching staff all the way. You know, they got good starters. They got a deep bullpen. I know he was really good the last time he pitched against us. I mean, he's one, again, one of the top pitchers in, in baseball. I mean, how he just the assortment that he has, how he can extend games. You know, we've had a few guys that have done okay off of him. He's done okay off us, too. So, I mean, he's a, he's a tough ride because he's got so many weapons and, and he throws strikes and got to get in there and fight like we did last night. I mean, it's, you know what, you got 27 outs to, to make something happen. Bryce Sutter is going to get the ball for the Braves. Aaron Nola is the guy he was talking about getting the ball for the Phillies. Walker, as a former lover of baseball, how much does it bother you that analytics have gotten so involved that in pivotal game threes, 1-1 series, where we know whoever wins this game most likely advances to the, to the NLCS, an opener is under consideration. Analytics cost the Blue Jays in game two. When they lost in the wild card round to the Minnesota Twins, I think this is something that moving forward, baseball has to get back under control. Quit letting analytic nerds determine game plans for things that happen on an actual playing field. Well, this is the problem, right? With advanced stats and trying to apply that to baseball, it is such a different game once you get to the postseason because what analytics do is they help you over a large sample size over the regular season where if you continue to make this decision based off of the numbers, then out of 100 times, you're going to be successful 58. But when you have a one-off and the small sample size is a four-game series or even a one-game decision that you have where you're starting with relievers, they pitch an inning, and then you bring somebody else in for an inning, and then it doesn't matter if a pitcher is dominant for six innings. Once you get through the third time around the lineup, you're going to pull them because stats say that batter now is going to get a hit in their third at-bat against you. It's just these coaches trying to figure out an advantage, and I get why they're doing it. I don't know how you fix it. Because then, what are you trying to do? Tell, I guess, are you going to say a pitcher has to appear in more than, what, three innings at the start of Like, I, they already have some of that in play when you do bring in some relievers. Here's the problem with the numbers. The numbers are over 162 game sample size. are not broken down to a best of three, yes. best of five, best of seven. Exactly, right. And also, the numbers can't quantify, like, gut. Like, like there's some guys that in those moments they're going to get the outs. But the numbers can't tell you what you're going to do. And I, I, I feel bad for these managers because a lot of teams, like they need the numbers to get them to the playoffs. Well, remember the, what was it? The Blake Snell controversy yeah, with the Cash Rays. Took him out in game six. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, and here's the problem. Do analytics people get fired? No, no, they, they're, they're, the Yankees are going to audit their analytics department. They might do things differently, but like those guys don't get fired. The manager gets fired because of what some math equation told him to do. Well, I know that, uh, like you said, Fiddy, this is a huge game. I'm definitely going to be checking in on this tonight often, oh, all right, man, if love, not watching the whole game, West. okay? So, yeah, I'm going to be up in there seeing what's going on. Get a full breakdown from Baseball That's West. That's right. I'll take notes tonight and all that, like it's a class and I have to do a presentation. We're going we're gonna to get the photo, like, at 9.08 of him asleep. 
<laughs> That's right. There's going to be another TV having something else on it and it's going to sneak in the picture. He's like, see, I'm watching baseball, but it's like some superhero movie on the other TV. And he's not paying attention to the baseball game whatsoever. Wesson Walker, we welcome Stephen Holder of ESPN, NFL beat writer, going to be joining us on the other side of the break. He had some comments about Frank Reich discussing David Tepper's involvement with the Panthers organization. It's coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Talking a lot about David Tepper this week, man. Probably not a good thing for your franchise. It's 0-5. He's been the star that uh, he wants to be on this show this week. Well, he's he's been it. We've had some bad impressions from both me and Fiddy. I'll wear that, too. Fiddy took responsibility. I'll take responsibility for a bad David Tepper impression as well. So he's been the star. We've been talking about him a lot, not only on this show, but on these airwaves. And we're going to talk a little more just about the Carolina Panthers, their struggles, and also their head coach, Frank Reich. Somebody who did cover Frank Reich when he was in Indianapolis is Stephen Holder, who now joins us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, now ESPN NFL reporter. And you can find him on Twitter, at Holder Stephen. Stephen, we appreciate the time, man. How are you? I'm uh, doing great. How about you guys? Yeah, we're doing well, Stephen. And I know you wanted to clarify some comments that you had on Twitter when you tweeted out the clip of Frank Reich saying he has meetings every week with David Tepper. There are some owners that aren't involved, and there are some owners who are involved. David Tepper <laughs> is the latter. And you tweeted out, it was painful to watch for you, quote, because it wasn't the first time that you've heard him say this. It's an open secret in the league that the owner heavily influenced the QB choice, which is never ideal. I do want to be fair as well. You did clarify in your thread that it's not supposed to be a slight towards Bryce whatsoever. You were just making a prediction based off of Frank Reich's criteria. Frank Reich wanted a bigger quarterback. CJ Stroud fit that bill. So what did you want to portray when you went down this Twitter thread, putting out the Frank Wright clip? Well, as you know, Twitter is a great place for complete thoughts. So <laughs> uh, I figured <laughs> why not, why not put out a firebomb on Twitter? Exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, here, here's the thing that I realized a couple of things after I, I tweeted that, and I don't, I'm not taking back anything I said. All those things are accurate. What I would say is that, let me clarify, because I think there was some misunderstanding about a couple things. Number one, when I say I've heard him say that before, I am referring, I think you guys probably realize this, but some don't. I'm referring to his time in Indianapolis. Not, I haven't talked to Frank Reich about David Tepper whatsoever, like zero. I haven't, I haven't talked to Frank since, uh, I would say, a little after the draft, I think. So that has nothing to do with that. 
Um, in fact, before the draft, I haven't talked to him. I haven't talked to him since the draft. So anyway, what I was referring to is there was a perceived intervention by the owner here in Indianapolis, Jim Mersey. Last year in particular, it was a messy year. You know Frank got fired. Uh, there was an instance, you might recall, about five weeks into the season, uh, they benched Matt Ryan and started Sam Ellinger. And anyone who knew Frank Reich looked at that decision and said, wait, what? Even though Matt Ryan clearly was struggling, we knew that in his mind, Sam Ellinger had a lot of growth still to do before he ever became, you know, someone they would consider as a starter. And, and we knew the challenges that Matt Ryan had faced. Well, we learned at some point that, that uh, Jim Irsay had really driven that decision. And I know Frank Reich was very, very frustrated by, by that and, and just the, the, the idea that he couldn't you know, make a quarterback decision. That was just really um, troubling to him. So, so anyway, in hearing, I've heard him have to kind of talk his way out of these situations before where it's like, I really don't want to deal with the owner on this, but I have to, <laughs> you know? And so it sounded so familiar to me. And then the other thing I would say is that anything related to the quarterback choice, those are, those are things that have been said by other people in the league. Mm-hmm. did not come from Frank Reich in particular, but I do think that sentiment is out there, that belief is out there, and that's what people in the league – that's what a lot of people in the league believe is that they had their mindset in someone else. And it doesn't mean the owner made the quarterback decision. I'm not saying that, but he certainly had a hand in it and influenced it. Well, and I'm glad you brought up Jim Ursay because I've been trying to get a grip on just how quote unquote meddling he might be during Frank Reich's time. We all know the reports and the story about him apologizing to Jim Ursay when he brought Carson Wentz aboard and it didn't work out that season. They failed to make the playoffs, especially after an atrocious last two games from said starting quarterback. But is it, is Jim Ursay somebody that was driving a lot of the decisions throughout Reich's tenure, or did it really come to a head when we talk about what happened last year in the Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger decision? Uh, in, in, in Ursay's defense, it really is the latter. So mm-hmm. I would say that he was not someone who was, was heavily involved uh, with decision-making. I mean, he wants to know what's going on, and, and he wants to be kept in the loop. Don't get me wrong. But, but he's not someone who is going to necessarily tell people what to do or, or override people. That's not his style generally, and, and it had not been up until last year. So I mean, people in Ursay's circle will tell you the reason he broke from his, his normal routine last year is because uh, things had taken such a turn that he felt like he really needed to insert himself and intervene. Now, you can take issue with that and agree or disagree, but I think that's, that's fine. I, I get that on some level, you know? So I just think the, the extent to which he did insert himself was just a little much for some people, you know? And I'm talking mm-hmm. about not only that quarterback decision, but also hiring uh, Jeff Saturday to be the interim coach um, over the wishes of, of people um, in the front office who, who were staunchly opposed to that for obvious reasons. So anyway, yeah, that was not something though, that, that I would say Frank Reich had to deal with during most of his tenure. Um, Jim Merson had been very supportive and, and usually 
if the if the if the brain trust made a decision, he was usually going to go along with it. Stephen Holder joins us on the Body Works Plus Guest Hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at Holder Stephen. And Stephen, you know, if the rumors are true and uh, the owner had the biggest decision or had a big hand in choosing the quarterback, how much of a disadvantage do you feel like that puts a guy like Frank Reich in when he can't choose the quarterback that he wants? Well, what I would say is, you know, without knowing everything, I think, you know, because we don't know ultimately how much how much weight was given from the owner, how much he influenced it. But what I would say is, as a general rule in situations like that, you want that decision to be made clear-headed. You don't want that decision to be influenced by any other influences other than the football. You know, and, and that's not to say the owner can't have a vote. I mean, you, you buy a team with the understanding that you're going to influence some of the things that happen. But, but I also am a firm believer that football people should make football decisions. So, you know, however that decision played out behind closed doors, I just think you want it to be made with, without any real uh, interference from anything besides this guy does this well and that well, he does this poorly and that poorly. You want it to be purely, and I mean purely a football decision, and obviously the, the character of the player and things like that, the things that, that should decide a draft pick. So, and, and the people who are best equipped to make that decision are your, your coaches and your, your front office. And so when you look at it and you talked about the things that Frank Reich has always told you that he's wanted in a quarterback, do you feel like that that has kind of hindered him when you look at it from afar with the job that he's done so far with this offense and the way he's called plays for Bryce Young? Well, I would say, I would say there, are some, there are some things about Bryce that make sense. Like one thing, for example, would be uh, the playmaking ability he showed um, in college. That's something – that I know you're going to cringe when I say this, but <laughs> but you know when in Frank's in Frank's earlier days working with Carson Wentz, like young Carson Wentz. I mean that was a talent that he had. He could make those off schedule plays, you know. So I, it's not as if there's no um, there's there's nothing there that that Frank Reich would be drawn to. I'm not saying that, mm-hmm. but I do think he does have you know sort of this these sort of basic criteria that he does. Uh, kind of look at, and, and size has always been one. So CJ checks that box. Uh, the accuracy is really high for Frank Reich. If you ask him, you know, what are his, his main criteria, you know, what does a quarterback have to do well that you just you can't compromise on? Accuracy would be one of those things. Now, this is not to say that Bryce Young is inaccurate. He's not inaccurate. Uh, but certainly CJ Stroud has, has made his living being just a deadly accurate thrower. That's just that's what he does. And so I, I just think that was the thing for me between the size and the, the accuracy of C.J. Stroud. He felt like a, a Frank Reich quarterback. Now, it's not Frank Reich. It's not the, the Carolina Franks, right? It's the Carolina Panthers. So, so it's a decision that, that's bigger than just what the coach likes and wants, granted. But certainly... I think we might have lost. Losing a big role. 
Sorry, Stephen. Yeah, sorry. It looks like we lost you there for a little bit. It's Stephen Holder of ESPN NFL reporter joining us here on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Apologize, just broke up a little bit, but I do want to continue this conversation surrounding Frank Reich as the head coach. Because, Stephen, we, we do have a lot of fans that want him just five games into the season to give up play calling responsibilities. And we know in Indianapolis, I know you were there with the athletic covering Frank Reich, a part of the Indy star as well. We know that that was Frank Reich's MO as to why he was able to land a head coaching job in the first place, because he was this offensive savant, a nice play caller. What was his play calling reputation based off of the fan base there in Indianapolis and even the players, if you know what their thoughts were. So I would say among fans, probably mixed and you know, it always, boils down to results. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just how this thing works. Uh, I think, you know, when when the offense was was thriving, uh, he's a good play caller. When it's not, he's not. But <laughs> but I I think the other thing that that really colored people's opinions, and I didn't have a problem with this, but but certainly some fans do, is he was at times pretty aggressive as a play caller. So he was going to go for a lot of fourth downs. Um, he was maybe going to throw the ball in short yard situations where maybe not everyone appreciated that, uh, things of, of that nature. So I, I think those kinds of, those kinds of habits uh, kind of, I think, colored some people's perception of Frank Reich as a play caller. Uh, I thought he had, uh, well, let me back up. I think sometimes it's just really hard to evaluate what Frank Reich was here because of the quarterback situation. And that doesn't mean that he didn't have thumbprints on that. Of course he did. But ultimately, uh, Andrew Luck retiring just basically pulled the rug out under rug out from under everybody. And, and as a coach, I think he spent the next three years just trying to, to find some stability at that position, which is a really bad place to be working from, I mean, each and every year. So, so I, don't, I don't think we can accurately judge him as a play caller because of that. The one thing I would say, and, and this is a positive and a negative, depending on the situation. It could be a positive or negative. Uh, Frank Wright's offense can be demanding, and, and Bryce Young is a rookie. So and maybe that would have been the case. You know, that would have been challenging for any rookie, but I, but I think that's something to consider too. You know, rookies or young players in general, I wouldn't say they struggled with his offense, but – but they definitely needed time to adjust. So I do take that into account uh, with Bryce and, and whatever struggles he may be having. I haven't seen a lot of Carolina play, unfortunately. You know, we, there's lots of games going on, on Sundays. But, but just I imagine, you know, there have been some ups and downs, and, I, and I, I've seen and read and so forth. That could be a factor, and, and maybe that lessens over time. Let's hope it does. But I, I do think that's something to, to consider. Yeah, last thing, Stephen, before we get you out of here, just want your perspective on a head coach that you covered for a while. You know, a lot of other people, too, because it's going so poorly, right? So it's easy to question everything surrounding the process. I just want to try to figure out what's fair and what's not. Now people and fans are questioning his command of the locker room. You're talking about somebody in Steve Wilkes, where even with their familiarity with Steve Wilkes, he was a demanding presence. He was someone that was a little more hardcore than what Frank Wright comes off as, right? was, was Was the locker room... What was the support of the locker room for Frank Reich was he, when he was there in Indianapolis for a few years? I think players really did love him. I, I think his style is definitely his style. There's no doubt about it. Look, he's not going to be a hardcore coach. 
Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily a player's coach either, like, you know, just let them do whatever they want. That's not necessarily what it is. But I think if you ask him about it, he will tell you accurately that, you know, you have to be who you are. I think if Frank Wright came in the locker room and and if, if Frank Wright came in the locker room and started, you know, throwing clipboards and, <laughs> and dropping F-bombs, it, it, wouldn't very, it wouldn't ring very authentic, you know, and it's just, that's just not who he is. And so, you know, he's he's very he's a very thoughtful person. He's a former minister. And, I mean, he we know who he is, and he knows who he is. So I, I think he just governed himself accordingly. I will tell you this: look, his first season in Indianapolis, where you know they were rebuilding a little bit, or they were at least retooling. They did have Andrew Luck, so that that makes the job a lot easier. But they started one and five. Now. What did happen, though, is they were playing hard, and you could see that, all right, if we get some luck, we could actually turn this around. And so guys started to buy in, even though they were 1-5. in five. I mean, whereas the, the fan base was pretty much at that point kind of tuned out. That's Stephen Holder joining us. What in, I'm sorry, what go ahead, Stephen, finish your point. Sorry. What ended up happening is, I mean, they won 9 out of 10 down the stretch. Now, I am not predicting that here. I'm not. There's certainly a different scenario talent level may be different all that but uh but he held the team together under some really tough circumstances and i think the same could be said in the aftermath of andrew luck's retirement where i mean just you can't have a bigger gut punch they started five and two that year so he's been good under under really difficult circumstances in the past but each circumstance is very unique and each situation is its own so we'll see how it goes there that is great stuff from Stephen Holder, NFL reporter for ESPN, covered Frank Reich in Indianapolis for The Athletic alongside the Indy Star as well. Find him on Twitter, at Holder Stephen. Thanks so much for the time, Stephen. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. All right. Yeah, you got it. That was good stuff from him. We can come back, maybe recap some of those comments he had. And, of course, we're going to put that. Do you already have the interview up? I mean, he just hung up five seconds ago. I just want to know if you already have it on the website. Nah, not yet. Uh, almost dynamic. I'm surprised. Close. Close. If you don't get it up within two minutes, the interview on the website, that is, then I'm going to take away your dynamic title. Do you have a flash ready to go? I do. All right, sweet. There's the dynamic producer I know. Time now for the last Fitty Flash. Fitty. I pulled up the foul line intro because I might need it, or maybe Wes might need it. Um, The NFL is considering fining George Kittle for wearing a shirt on Sunday that simply stated bleep Dallas. According to one of their many stupid rules, it violated... um, the yeah, I mean, just message. not saying anything vulgar in yes, public. Yeah, like it's pretty it's self-explanatory. On it, a fine of ten thousand nine hundred and twenty-seven dollars. And then Micah Parsons, who didn't show up at all on Sunday, and got his ass kicked, went on his podcast for some ungodly reason, and said, "Quote: I just feel like he's making it way more personal than it had to be. Kittle's my guy, but I'm gonna say this." Laugh now, cry later. He's going to be laughing and crying after he kicks your ass again because you can't beat him. Wes, I concede to you, my man. Y'all were in (laughs) our heads, and the NFL 
should not fine George Kittle. They should promote that this rivalry has meaning and that these players are taking it as personal as it should be. Well, with the way the NFL is as buttoned up as they are, I'm not surprised in the least bit that they find him for that. I mean, putting stuff like that on TV with kids watching, et cetera, et cetera, you can't have that. So, I mean, like I said, uh, Kittle got the victory to the spoils, and he got that as well. And so uh, Michael Parsons definitely needs to just chill out. He's been doing a lot of talking lately, and I think after you get a beat down like that, if that's what he took from that, if that was the biggest thing that uh, chapped his behind, so to speak, out of that butt kicking he took, then I think that he's focused on the wrong stuff. Well, and, and in the NFL, what what did you expect to happen? You can't have bleep Dallas in front of all the cameras. And, and he knew that. Watching. Like, George Kittle knows what's coming his way. Yeah. I'm not going to blame the NFL for finding him, right? Are you more mad at Micah Parsons or the NFL for finding George Kittle? Yes. Okay. That's <laughs> got clear. Is that an all-encompassing yes? Yeah. I what? mean, I, I, look, as much as I hate George Kittle, I think it's great that in a rivalry that finally has as much juice as this had since the mid-90s, he feels that type of way. I know 24 million people are watching, and you don't want to see the F word on your television, but these are two big brands, and they embarrass the crap out of us on national television. I mean, I'd have done that and, and gave us the middle finger because that's what you did to us on the actual field. Fitty's going to come into the studio tomorrow with a bleep San Francisco shirt on. <laughs> right. And then he's going to be angry when Jeff tells him to take it off. <laughs> what, four points soft him. now? Yeah, and finds him too. Really, Jeff? Sports radio is soft. <laughs> Throws the t-shirt down as he exits the studio. One more segment to go. It is the walk-off with Wes. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. have a wild landing on this show because Wes brought to our attention a TMZ report. Breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> TMZ says that there has been an official Sasquatch sighting in Colorado. So I clicked on the link. We all... Ow! Thank you. Yes, Sasquatch is real, folks. And TMZ is here to tweet about it. And the first line is, Bigfoot is real. That is, or it's just another silly hoax. You decide. And I'm looking at the film. It's an 18, I think it's actually a 52-second clip, but there's an 18-second clip where they're really zooming in. Apparently, it's in Colorado, as you mentioned, Wes. Yes. I think my verdict, and I'm willing to believe that Sasquatch exists, okay? I don't have an opinion on it. I'm Sasquatch agnostic, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't know if it's been proven, but I'm willing to believe that it exists. Um, I don't know if this video is enough evidence for me. I got to go. I, I think we're, the play is a stance. I can't see it clear enough. The face looks a little human, and there's enough of a distinction between the face 
and the bodysuit that the person seems to be wearing? You tell me. Do you believe in this official sighting of Sasquatch? Because it comes from TMZ, it gives me a little bit of a reason to believe in it, but it seems like something that could be so plausible that a person goes and gets a Bigfoot costume and goes out and does this and then can get that type of clout. So I'm going to say, no, I'm not buying it. Like I said, the, the TMZ factor gives me slight reason to buy a little bit into it, but no. Yeah, I think it just looks too human to me. What do you think, Fiddy? Did you watch the video yet? And are you one that is willing to believe in Sasquatch? I'm I'm trying to find it on the TMZ. Now, if you say too human, though, because we do know there's a kind of, I guess, a human element to Sasquatch as far as him uh, walking on two but feet the face, and all that stuff. So what do what you, because. But the face doesn't have any hair on it. Mm-hmm. At least in this video. Yeah. And every other interpretation of Sasquatch, you at least have some. And this one doesn't. It looks a little too divide. Like I can see where the costume starts, yeah. and I can see where you see the natural face of the person, or even just a mask. Really, I think so. This video is not that conclusive to me. <laughs> and TMZ, they sold it hard with the headline, as uh-huh. clickbait is one to do. Yeah. And then in the first sentence, they say, "Or it's a hoax." You decide. Like, okay, okay. If yeah. you really wanted, once to, you add that in, you know what I'm saying. Like TMZ, they really sold the clickbait. Look, I'm I'm gonna click. I'm not. I'm gonna find out, but I'm not buying it anymore. What do you think, Fiddy? It looks like someone emerging from the woods in historic Lancaster after a morning <laughs> of hunting or something like that. It looks like they are <laughs> trying to figure out a way. And the the weird thing is, it looks like somebody is popping a squat down there, and it looks like they might need to be using the bathroom because as soon as they see the camera, they squat down. And I'm like, oh, are we catching them in like a Friday moment? So here's the question: <laughs> Do you think if Sasquatch is real, his poop is different than human? All poop? right. <laughs> I haven't thought about that, to be honest with you. Well, you want I mean, to go would examine it, make, it? Would it make you believe in that, that he's actually real? Like, you know, because, like, if Sasquatch is an actual being. Wait. Uh, n- 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 well, look, I'm not trying to. N- no, that was not wait. I want to talk more about the poop conversation. That was not that. What I We're did, just talking crap. No, we are. We are indeed talking that. We got Bigfoot Bailey. Yeah, if he was in here, I'd love to get his opinion on this. He's too busy popping a blue chew. <laughs> yeah. He does. Blue Chew Bigfoot Bailey. He does stay busy. <laughs> Blue Chew Bailey. Or do we like Bigfoot Bailey or Blue Chew Bailey? I better? like Blue Chew Bailey. We get yeah. busy and we stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. I do want his, because he is the guy. Like, whatever he says, much like Wes is able to dictate whether something is fire or fizzle, I feel like Bigfoot Bailey dictates whether this video is true evidence or not that Sasquatch is real. And Main Bone went to a Sasquatch festival and where he went to like and participated in Sasquatch calls. That's true. So t- there's no audio of him making a call. We have a couple of Bigfoot experts. I am not one. And I feel like we have a couple at our disposal that we just can't use right now, but I would love to. You got a big bird, though. We do have a big bird expert. Yeah, we do. Now, that is not a big bird costume. I can tell you that right now, 100%, I do not see that as a big bird costume. Yeah, I want to believe, man, but I don't know if we can. Uh, real quickly, any recap from Stephen Holder's comments? Anything that was interesting to you as we end Wes and Walk? Well, I think when we talked about it during the break, just talking about the aggression and the Frank Reich play call and, and him saying also how complex the system is that he feels like and so from everything we heard about Bryce Young early in camps and all of that, that he was picking stuff up and that he felt like Frank could do everything he wanted to and more to expand that. And then also to the aggressive comment, maybe we want to see 
more aggression from the play calling with Bryce Young in there in the coming weeks and before the season is out at least. Can we get something? Yeah. I, the the aggression, right? I think there was some problem against Seattle where they didn't establish the run with Andy Dalton at QB. Yeah. But it did feel like that was more of what kind of offense Frank Reich wanted to run, where you are throwing it a lot. Mm-hmm. 58 times is too much, but also game script. You're playing down. You're trying to pick up chunks of yardage. And Andy Dalton is out there, what, throwing for 350? It's a lot. Yeah. You know, when Andy Dalton's reason at all as to why you lost that football game. You got a final take before we end, Fiddy? I see you laughing over there. Now, nah, just reading some of the text, Big T from NC said he looks like a nerd that got lost in a airsoft battle. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's when you take airsoft way too seriously. If you're willing to go with a Bigfoot. I I, I did like airsoft back in oh, the day. Oh, I knew it. You look like an airsoft guy. I played like once or twice. Paintball was fun, though. Oh, yeah. We should go paintballing as a show. I'd be down. That Paint- would be fun. Paintball was a lot of fun. Any paintball courses out there, please sponsor us, and we will give a live on-air review of just how awesome the paintball obstacle course is. That'll do it for Wes and Walker. Keep it here for Blue Chew, Bailey, and Smoke Ludwood. Coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.